Good morning, Connecticut. And to our friends across the Sound, it's Director of Public Affairs, John Voquette. Thanks for tuning in to Connoisseur Media's award-winning public affairs program for the people, bringing you the latest information to help address concerns in our communities tied to youth, the economy, public health and safety, aging, education, and the environment. So if you're a small or medium-sized business, a startup or entrepreneur who's ready to rock and roll, the Connecticut Small Business Development Center has many ways to help you get started or grow your business, hire new people, or retain your workforce. So we've got a representative of that organization up first today to let you in on everything the Small Business Development Centers can do for you. Then we're bringing parents, friends, and loved ones of adolescents and teens facing possible mental health challenges, an important new and free resource from the Connecticut Council of Family Service Agencies. They just received funding to offer free youth mental health screening and fast-track referrals for support to anyone who may need it across the state. So stay tuned for more information about that. And we're going to close as Black Philanthropy Month arrives this August by bringing in the founder of Waterbury's Black Giving Circle, which is ramping up recruiting and is seeking a whole new group of younger new members who want to cultivate charitable giving within the black community, build capacity and financial sustainability of black-led nonprofits, and address the most pressing need facing Waterbury's black community. We'll be back with these segments and more on the award-winning For the People with me, John Boquette, right after this reminder. Speaking of Waterbury, have you been to the mat lately? Waterbury's Mattituck Museum is a hidden gem to explore this summer or anytime. Through September 3rd, you can view the mat's latest exhibit, Blurring Boundaries, that traces the extraordinary contributions of the female artists in American abstract artists from the founder to today's practicing members. Learn more about this and all the unique and engaging events and activities this summer and beyond at the mat by visiting mattmuseum.org. It has been way too long since we heard from our friends at the Connecticut Small Business Development Centers and uh, even longer since we talked to our friend Joe Ercolano, who is with the organization here in Connecticut. And I'll tell you, uh, it was a busy year last year for the SBDC here in Connecticut. 3,300 clients received support, information, and counseling from this a vital organization, and uh, they've got a lot of information lined up or planned for you if you are an entrepreneur or small business owner here in Connecticut in the coming months. So uh, without further ado, Joe, uh, welcome to the program uh, and uh, long time no here. Thanks for joining us back again. Well, thank you, John, for inviting us. We really appreciate it. So uh, for for those who are uh, unfamiliar with the organization, the uh, Connecticut Small Business Development Centers have trained and experienced full-time advisors who work with many small businesses in all kinds of industries and stages of development, providing no-cost advisory services, and they're ready to help you just like they did with those 3,300 clients last year. Joe, do you have any ballpark idea of how far along long you are toward meeting or exceeding that number uh, so far in 23? Yeah, actually, we're actually above, slightly above where we need to be at the midpoint of the year, which is June 30th for us. 
So uh, we're looking at, you know, over 1,700 clients already. We're looking at $35 million in capital. We've helped them secure because that's what we do. We help people find the capital and apply for it and get it. <laughs> we don't have it. We don't give it out, but we sure. help them with that. Yep. You and, facilitate. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. And and we're uh, over 90 businesses we've helped start already this year. Excellent. So um, actually 92. So we're on track. It should be another good, solid year. Well, although it was impressive that you helped 100, 191 new businesses launch in 2022, the other mm-hmm. thing that that we want to make sure people are aware of is that this isn't like don't just turn the radio off or, or switch stations if you're not a small business owner or entrepreneur because uh, the small business development centers through their facilitation of support for businesses also helped create over 500 new jobs last year. That's exactly right. And uh, new jobs are hard to find uh, in, a, in an uncertain economy. So those jobs are important. And the jobs we help people keep are also important. You know, when we count retain jobs as well. And uh, those those matter as well, because, you know, people cut back when when revenue drops. So, right. Uh, the more we can help them keep jobs, the better. Yeah, so certainly beyond creating 536 new jobs, uh, undoubtedly you have helped through sustaining and growing businesses, uh, their ability to retain way more jobs than that. So uh, good for the workforce, good for uh, the business economy here in Connecticut. But before we go too much further, Joe, let's roll it all the way back to the beginning and just remind us how this whole uh, Connecticut SBDC thing got started and, uh, uh, you know, a little bit about its uh, history. Yeah, absolutely. It's a creation of Congress back in the late 70s. Actually, uh, the late Senator Weicker, Governor Weicker as well, Mm. we we applaud him because he played a key role in getting the program off the ground back then. And so in Connecticut, we started in 1981. So we're in our 42nd year this year. Um, and we're housed at the University of Connecticut. Congress appropriates money. The SBA administers it, um, you know, and, and provides that funding based on Connecticut's share of the population. The state matches some of that money. Almost uh, about 80 percent of it comes matched by the state um, through the Department of Economic and Community Development. So we're fortunate that this is enough to put 16 able, talented, experienced business professionals out there on the street to work with uh, clients all over the state. We serve businesses in every town of every type of every industry. And uh, we are been doing it, like I said, for 41 years. Well, since the pandemic uh, and the um, significant amount of support funds that rolled into Connecticut from the federal government through many different avenues, um, has the uh, accessibility to a broader pool of funds um, uh, been availed to the small uh, business uh, development centers? Yeah, you know, the, obviously the peak of that additional funding was 2020 and 2021 into 2022, um, a little bit. But uh, the federal programs ended, the uh, Paycheck, Protect, Paycheck Protection Program, Uh, The EIDL loan program uh, for COVID ended. Uh, People are now 
dealing with paying back the EIDL loan because it is a loan. It's not a forgivable loan like PPP was. Mm. Um, but what we have going on now is the ARPA funding, the American Recovery uh, can't, Job Protection Act. I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. terminology, but it funded municipalities in the state with additional funds that are making its way down to small businesses. So many towns and cities have some grant programs available for small business. Um, The state has funded several organizations with money available for grants. The key to this, though, is for people to remember each organization has different requirements for that money and will grant different levels of funds. So it's not like a federal program where open to everybody, everybody was aware of the exact eligibility requirements, et cetera. You got to kind of know what you fit into and which box you fit into. And that's where we can help because, as I said, we don't hand out money. We help people acquire uh, or secure somebody else's money. Yeah. And we're aware of all these different programs. Well, you we're also, aware of it. yeah, you also yeah. touched on a, on an, a unique and important point uh, in, in in your in your last uh, few words, Joe, and that is that s- small business people and entrepreneurs, um, you know, they're faced with hiring challenges, uh, financial challenges, startup challenges, getting new clients or getting new business. Um, a lot of uh, small business people and entrepreneurs are are working really hard. Um, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, just trying to make it happen. And and they probably, uh, when they consider the prospect of trying to go through an application process to get some sort of financial support, they just kind of maybe look at that as, you know, glomming on another part-time job to their already 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And they may get yeah. discouraged and not even want to bother to look into it. And that's really a, a unique place where your organization comes in because uh, you kind of, in some respects, do that legwork on their behalf, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we will explain uh, clearly, you know, what this program might be for. And if, if they're not going to fit the requirements or the eligibility, we'll tell them outright. But then we'll say, but let's look at something else. There might be another one. There might be a loan program or a working capital program being run by a state bank, Connecticut Bank, Commercial Bank. And then, of course, the state launched, um, and it's celebrating its anniversary tomorrow, the Small Business Boost Loan Program. We happen to be the lead TA technical assistance provider on that program. Um, We had hundreds of referrals for that over the course of the last year. People looking for help either with their application or um, with understanding what they can afford to borrow. And um, we do that all the time. So that's, you're right, John, that's what we can help people. They don't have to put a lot of hours into this if they come to us. Uh, education is also a big and important part of the SBDC. And with that in mind, um, you're currently uh, kind of courting support to help uh, what might be, as we said before we went on the air this morning, two generations of entrepreneurs and small business people and startup uh, individuals who may have not gotten the, the level of financial literacy and credit counseling training that 
so coincidentally has just been mandated as a curriculum in all of our state high schools starting next September. So right. uh, this is an area that you have a unique interest in, in, in terms of trying to help uh, support business people in, in, in that unique place. Um, tell us about the aspirations to launch this uh, financial literacy and credit counseling uh, component for business people. Oh, sure. They, you know, this is um, really focused on business financial literacy. So, you know, yes, personal finance builds into it, but that's part of the problem. A lot of business owners have difficulty separating their personal finances from their business finances. And as a result, they get sort of tangled up and they get into maybe situations they could possibly avoid. But we really want people to understand what um, financing um implications happen when they conduct their business on a regular basis, you know, and what does that mean for them in terms of their capacity to take on growth, to hire new people, to add new equipment or start a marketing campaign. All those things ultimately boil down to cash, right? Cash is king. You've heard that. And cash budgeting is a, is a challenge. Uh, budgeting in, in general is a challenge for a lot of small businesses. So we want to help people sort through that in easy to understand, non, if I could say this, academic terminology. Just keep it straightforward, make it realistic and appropriate to them. We're going to run this on a monthly basis. And if you um, finish our four parts, the plan is if you finish these four parts each month, which are an hour to an hour and a half long, you qualify for some credit counseling from a professional organization. Um, not a lot of hours. You know, we're, we're struggling with. Right now, trying, not struggling, but trying to figure out what we can afford to pay for somebody so they don't have to pay for it because it can be pricey. But um, getting your credit score up is, a, is an important component of accessing capital. So, if, you know, our goal is to try to help people get that credit score up, their business credit score, so they're more uh, able to talk to a lender, um, whether it's a public or a private or a nonprofit lender, and get some funding for their company. That's the goal. Excellent. Uh, you also, uh, part of uh, the suite of, of services and resources that the Connecticut SBDC offers are, uh, are webinars that people can uh, either take as they're being launched or uh, kind of click on and take at their own uh, time and speed. And you've got mm -hmm. one uh, that's lined up to start uh, in, in about a month or so. Yeah, we've got an, uh, another of a, it got postponed um, from the spring, but we had a six-part series on international trade. So we'll conclude that in the fall with a, a program on trade finance. And it's a panel, it's actually in person. Um, and uh, it, we expect to have a good good crowd there for that. Uh, people are interested in, in international trade and selling outside the US, but they often wonder, you know, what are the costs? What are the requirements? And how do I deal with that? And there's obviously resources available, like for everything else, you know, um, whether it's loans or even some, some cases, small grants available to get started. Because obviously our government knows it's important to expand markets worldwide. So we want to present that information and provide some advice, folks. We're going to be continuing on, on the topics of cybersecurity, which are critical. Um, for small businesses, we'll have a couple of webinars on that in the fall. We'll do a couple on inter internet, um, intellectual property, 
tough mm. words to say, uh, but protecting your intellectual property and uh, understanding what processes to go through to, to get a patent or to get a trademark. Um, we do that in conjunction with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, which has great resources. And we'll probably be doing a series in the fall on um, ex- uh, business succession planning and employee ownership options. It's a trend that many people who are retiring and wondering what to do with their business, who to hand it off to, so to speak, you know, can consider actually if they're uh, looking at their employees as owners, potential owners of their business. Wow. So Fantastic. we'll present information on the pros and cons or not so much the cons, but the, you know, the, what do you, what do you need to think the, about? The ins and outs, not the pros and cons. The ins yeah. and outs. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. Good. Yeah. So and, uh, and we want to find uh, people that have done it to come yes. out and share their experience. Oh, okay. So they can get yeah. in touch with uh, with your organization through the website ctsbdc.ucon.edu. And uh, we've already uh, discussed a number of initiatives, but we haven't really even scratched the surface. There's so much more for folks to learn by visiting ctsbdc.ucon.edu at the Connecticut Small Business Development Center. Their team is passionate about helping small business owners reach their business goals. They've got lots of advice, webinars, and avenues through which you can get funding to not only start or grow your enterprise, but uh, add or retain valuable employees. Joe Ercolano has been our guest this morning, back with us after way too long on the award-winning For the People. Joe, thank you so much for your time today, and I hope a lot of people are going to be calling the SBDC here in Connecticut after they hear this segment and take advantage of your services. Thanks so much. Well, regular listeners know how we have been talking about and hopefully trying to address the uh, escalating mental health challenges that are facing family and especially young people here in Connecticut. It's something that we've been talking about for decades on the award-winning For the People, but something that uh, seems to have really escalated uh, during and post uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we know children in Connecticut are facing a mental health crisis following the pandemic. And according to our friends at the Annie E. Casey Foundation and their 2022 Kids Count data book, the rates of depression and anxiety have increased 26% in Connecticut and 73%, uh, virtually three quarters of parents and caregivers thought their children could or would benefit from counseling. So uh, for all of you out there, whether you're a young person who's listening that uh, may or may not think that they could benefit from this, uh, or you're a parent or caregiver or grandparent, what have you, and you think, uh, how can I go about justifying or, or, or bringing a young person I care about uh, to a place where they might be able to not only get help, but embrace that help and put that help to good work. Uh, we have our uh, friends on the line with us right now uh, from the Connecticut Council of Family Service Agencies. Uh, this uh, organization is a statewide network of 13 independent nonprofit 
uh, family service agencies that deliver services to over 100,000 families annually uh, from more than 100 sites throughout Connecticut. And uh, we've got some exciting news to share with you. Uh, we are welcoming Julie Rancourt onto the program first. She's communication manager for the network. And uh, Dr. Bob Miro is also going to be joining us. He's CEO of the, net, of the network uh, to talk uh, a little bit more about some important things that you need to know. So, uh, Julie, sorry about all the chat <laughs> and chatter at the right. beginning, but uh, uh, I guess the really like the key thing is getting uh, a young person to accept anything that's being offered for their own good. Uh, you know, I guess going back to the, to the caveman days, uh, you know, the, uh, the attraction to the hunt uh, may have often been, uh, 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 you know, cemented through uh, uh, receiving a treat or something. So, uh, you know, not to minimize the issue of this mental health crisis that we're in, but uh whether an individual has any type of a mental health challenge or not, uh, when you're part of that adolescent or teen or young adult audience, uh, it, it's it's really hard, I guess, to uh, uh, to buy what uh, older people or your parents or your caregivers might be trying to uh, provide to you for your own good, right? Yeah, I mean, children definitely know that they are struggling, especially post-pandemic with the isolation and the trauma of maybe losing a loved one, the um, the disruption to their lives, uh, their social schedules, their athletic schedules, their uh, you know social calendar, which at a developmental age that they're at was uh, impactful for sure. Um, and parents know that a lot of their children are struggling, but a lot of parents don't know where to turn or cannot get into services because a lot of behavioral health services are overwhelmed at this point. Um, and what we're doing with the Screening Connecticut's Youth uh, Sky program is screening these children, doing a quick 15-minute evaluation with the parent where they ask uh, we ask questions about their uh, child's moods or behaviors, anything that might be troubling them, and then scoring those evaluations and making a connection to behavioral health services. So we're able to evaluate who may need help, what uh, mental health challenge before it becomes a mental health crisis, and then getting them into services and making that connection so that they know they know that they can get in. Well, we're pretty lucky here in Connecticut in that uh, not only do we have uh, a, a large number of uh, state lawmakers and constitutional officials and, and uh, state government representatives who uh, fully uh, embrace the fact that we are amidst this uh, escalating crisis and youth mental health challenges, but also at the federal level. And so uh, thanks to a new federal initiative, you were able to launch this uh, SCY, this SCY, a Screening Connecticut's Youth 
program. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the specifics of it. Uh, you know, what are the age ranges that you're looking to identify and uh, give folks that are listening a little bit of an idea of um, how they are going to uh, both introduce and successfully complete the screening uh, so that uh, if the next step is necessary, uh, some sort of a, a referral or consultation uh, is in the cards, uh, they might be able to more effectively transition to that next step. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Senators uh, Murphy and Blumenthal were uh, champions of this program, and they were able to get us uh, congressional uh, funding for it. So the services are completely free, and we appreciate their support in uh, recognizing this as a vital service for Connecticut's youth especially. Um, it is free and available to any child between the ages of 4 and 17 in the state of Connecticut. And like I said, the, the screening process is a, a brief, usually about 15-minute uh, questionnaire similar to what a pediatrician does um, with teens or tweens at their annual physical if the children are able to get to an annual physical, but it does get a little bit more involved. And then following that questionnaire, which can be done in person, over the phone, over a Zoom virtual meeting platform if they want to be face-to-face, -face, but uh, you know, getting together face-to-face -face mm. is not an issue, is not a, um, a possibility. Yeah. Um, so well, we, let me, we let, me oh, let me just stop you there. So yep. um, is it uh, the the young person that answers the screening question, or is it the parent or caregiver uh, whose observations are being provided? Primarily, it is the parent or caregiver that is doing the screening. Um based on their observations of their child. Um, there is a format that if the child is old enough, they can also answer the questions. 12, right? Yeah, over 12 years old. Mm. Um, they're also able to answer the questions, but the parent will always do the Be screening. Part of it, yeah. Right. Good. Um, and then if the child is found to be at risk for a mental health uh challenge, like I said, we'll, we'll refer them to a behavioral health um, clinician either within our 13 member agencies or certainly any behavioral health uh, clinician in the state. So we've been working hard to make connections with different uh, providers so that they kind of have availability for us when they know that they get a child from the SKY program. Um, they make space for them. And we're proud to say that we've been able to have uh, over 75% of our participants able to attend an initial counseling session within two weeks, which is unheard of in the, in, in the pretty, mental health yeah, arena. And, and our listeners would probably be shaking their uh, or nodding their heads right now because every time we talk to somebody who's uh, in any realm uh, discussing youth mental health challenges, they will uh, bemoan the fact that uh, the waiting period is uh, both discouraging and dangerous. 
And uh, it's it's a relief to know that if people are able to take advantage of this absolutely free screening program, that they'll have a a more of a a fast track. Hopefully uh, there are folks out there who may have already tried to get help for somebody that they love and uh, that were discouraged because of the wait or the constant leaving of messages or the constant sending of unanswered emails. And they've just basically like given up and they're, and they're just like white knuckling it with their fingers crossed at the same time, just, uh, you know, hoping that everything's going to get better. Exactly, exactly. And one of the hallmarks of the program also, which is very important, is if somebody is seeking services, and by the way, they don't need to screen at risk to request services. If the parent is concerned, and even if the score, if you will, on the screening doesn't rise to that level, mm-hmm. we can still connect them to services. Um, but there, the, one of the hallmarks is once a child is in the program, we also address any barriers to attending that intake appointment. So a family may not previously have had insurance. We will help them find insurance and apply for it. Um, a parent may not understand the sometimes complicated paperwork um, with going through that process. We will help them with that. If there's in- issues like transportation or any other barriers, we will help address those so that they can get to that appointment Very and good. start services. So um, we're going to uh, we're going to take a quick break now uh, while we transition the microphone over to talk with Dr. Uh, Bob Miro, and then we'll pick up the conversation from there. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, do you volunteer for or receive services from any of the hundreds of nonprofit agencies, community groups, and grassroots organizations in our region? Or maybe you're just looking for ways to help. If your favorite nonprofit is hosting a fundraiser or community building activity, or you'd like to find a nonprofit to support in your neighborhood, just go to our radio station website, hit the events tab, and find one, or discover some of the many causes supported by Connoisseur Media. I'm John Voquette, your public affairs director here at Connoisseur Media, and we'll be back to the award-winning For the People right after this news. So you heard from them on the award-winning For the People recently, and now you can be part of the Connecticut Age Well Collaborative because this statewide agency is hiring a new community partnerships manager to empower town government, community stakeholders, especially those with lived experience, and collective impact partners to foster aging, dementia, and disability inclusivity across the state. Come and be part of something fabulous and apply now. Learn more by visiting ctagewellcollaborative.org. Well, we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. Obviously, uh, if you are, then you uh, know of or have some concern about one or more young people, uh, whether it's someone you love, someone you know, someone you teach, a neighbor, uh, maybe someone who's uh, on the playing field or the courts uh, or in some sort of an activity uh, with uh, your child or that you're part of. Uh, We're pleased to welcome the CEO of Connecticut Council of Family Service Agencies, Dr. Bob Miro. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us here during this second half of our our broadcast. Uh, As we are hearing from our uh, partners and resources at the Casey Foundation, 
uh, mental health is just as important as physical health to a child and to their ability to thrive. But we're also hearing disturbing news, and we have had guests on our program from Connecticut Children's Hospital, uh, and they are talking about the escalating rates of suicide attempts and suicidal ideations among Connecticut's young people. This has got to be something that is certainly uh, also of great concern to you. Uh, yes, John, and thanks for having us. Um, it. Uh, with the pandemic, uh, a lot has changed. Uh, rates of anxiety, rates of depression, and subsequently rates of uh, suicidal ideation and attempts uh, have all gone up. Um, in addition to that, when you speak to the teachers uh, and the, the school systems, um, overwhelmingly they'll report um, increases in uh, social-emotional um, uh, difficulties, behavioral difficulties, disrespectful behaviors. Um, and, and now that we're, we, we've come out of the pandemic, it, those, those issues are still remaining. And so um, the system is stre stretched right now. Um, the ERs are inundated with, with uh, kids uh, in crisis. The inpatient beds are, um, are all full. Um, and so what this SKY program is designed to do is uh, catch kids earlier in the process before symptoms escalate, before problems become uh, increasingly challenging, and, um, and, and get them the care at an earlier juncture. Um, and that way, the system gets relieved, kids get uh, the care at an earlier juncture, have a better outcome at that level. So let's talk a little bit about the therapeutic nature of uh, mental health uh, support, uh, especially as it might be availed to uh, folks who respond and take the screening Connecticut Youth Sky uh, screening uh, program uh, because uh, they are going to be, as we heard from Julie, um, you know, to some degree uh, fast-tracked uh, into uh, a, a, a venue where the concerns that are being developed through the screening tool um, are able to be delivered faster and, and perhaps more effectively. That's correct. Um, so the, the, the state of Connecticut has uh, a wealth of, of mental health outpatient resources um, in, uh, in, in the member agencies of the Connecticut Council of uh, Family Service Agencies, but also in, in other agencies, private practices, um, school-based health centers, uh, and what have you. And so wherever the kid is in, in their natural community, um, we want to conduct a screening and get them plugged into the services that uh, seem to be the best fit for them. And, uh, and once we, we work with them and address all of the potential barriers to getting into that intake appointment, what transpires at that intake appointment is uh, a thorough and comprehensive evaluation of that child. Typically, uh, both the child and at least one parent are present at that point in time. And uh, at the conclusion of an intake, what typically happens is uh, a preliminary diagnosis is rendered and a preliminary treatment plan is, is suggested to the families uh, by the therapist conducting the intake. 
Um, it may also, uh, that recommended treatment plan may also in, uh, include a recommendation to uh, to uh, be evaluated by a psychiatrist or an APRN, advanced practice nurse, mm. uh, for medications as well. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you're actually seeing on the uh, on the other end of the process. What are you seeing uh, from those who have actually taken that brave step and gotten the help? And uh, that's a very important question, John. Uh, what's what we're seeing is uh, a myriad of of potential barriers depending on on the unique family situation. So, for example, um, uh, sometimes people will want uh, to uh, uh, to avail themselves of telehealth. Um, do they have the technological capacity within their home to participate with telehealth? Not everyone has um, a, uh, a computer that will uh, gain access to the Internet. Not everyone has access to the Internet. So we'll assist them in, in getting those resources. For folks who want to, um, to continue with face-to-face uh, sessions but struggle with transportation or with child care, um, maybe another child um, has to be picked up at the same time that an appointment has. Uh, maybe there's elder care issues. Whatever the issue is, the community health worker who conducts the screening uh, will work with each family in the unique situation to address all of those barriers such that there's a high likelihood of showing up for that initial intake appointment and a high likelihood of continuing with uh, the recommended um, you know, treatment. And, but you can speak from ex- professional and personal experience that those who do come to the table and uh, take the prescribed course uh, that the experts suggest, um, many of them are seeing positive outcomes. Yes, yeah, the treatment outcomes, uh, especially early on, are uh, are are very positive. Um, obviously, uh, if someone's condition deteriorates to the point where they wind themselves up in an ER or an inpatient unit, the road back to recovery tends to be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, if you uh, if you avail yourself of services earlier on, um, you know, the, the quicker the recovery process. Very good. Well, it's great to hear uh, coming from from you. Dr. Bob Miro is CEO of the Connecticut Council of Family Service Agencies. uh, And uh, we thank you for your time, uh, uh, Dr. Miro. Let's uh, uh, hand it back to Julie for a quick wrap up here. And uh, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, John. We're back with Julie Raincourt. She's communications manager for the Connecticut Council uh, of Family Service Agencies. Uh, so, Julie, in the last minute or so that we have, um, it's quick or it's important to remind people that this is kind of this is an open-ended initiative. It, it is well-funded. Um, uh, you know, although you'd like to see people uh, coming out and utilizing the screening as soon as soon as possible, um, just brief them quickly on uh, the key details and where they go to uh, avail themselves of this brand new Sky program, the screening Connecticut's youth uh, mental health screening tool. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Anyone can go to our website at ctfsa.org. 
and there's a button right on our homepage to fill out a referral form to get into the program, and they will be contacted by a community health worker to do the screening. Um, they can always, there's also a, a phone number they can call if they have any questions or would prefer to, to do the referral that way. Um, and we'll get in touch with them and, and get them set up as soon as possible. Um, I mean, this is, we're very proud of this for being an upstream approach to get to those families before a mental health challenge becomes more severe, certainly. Effective um, and free screening and a fast-tracked referral to the uh, help needed and support to get that help if a child is found to be at risk. The Connecticut Council of Family Service Agencies is a statewide network of 13 independent nonprofit family service agencies that deliver services to over 100,000 families through over 100 sites around Connecticut. Uh, we've been speaking with Julie Rancourt, communications manager, and also pleased to have Dr. Bob Miro, CEO, uh, step on for a few moments to talk to us this morning. Their screening tool available to you right now if you're concerned about a young person you know or love between the ages of 4 and 17 years old. Just go to ctfsa.org to get started toward a path to a recovery. Thank you so much, uh, Julie and Dr. Miro. Well, we're wrapping up our show this morning, our first show of the month of August, visiting with a brand new friend here on the award-winning For the People, Kathy Taylor, one of the original founders of the Waterbury Black Giving Circle, because it's August, and August is Black Philanthropy Month, and the Waterbury Black Giving Circle since its inception, has been working to cultivate charitable giving within the Black community to build capacity and financial sustainability of Black-led nonprofits, as well as addressing some of the most pressing needs facing Waterbury's Black community. Uh, they ha have been a partner with and received grants from the Connecticut Community Foundation, who we had on our program um, a couple of months ago. And um, uh, me being a, a Waterbury boy born and bred, I was so thrilled to hear about this organization. Uh, and uh, Kathy, so glad to meet you. Uh, I, uh, we should say that you uh, also uh, not only uh, help benefit uh, the greater Waterbury area through participating with the Waterbury Black Giving Circle, but you also uh, help impart uh, a lot of uh, good information and support and allyship uh, through your work as a professor of legal studies at Naugatuck Valley Community College. You run the program for legal studies and you chair the Center for Racial Dialogue and Communal Transformation. So you, I, I do. I you're do, busy. John. You're busy. Just just a little, but but thank you so much for for having me here to talk about the Waterbury Black Giving Circle and specifically to to raise awareness around Black Philanthropy Month, which which has been um, celebrated ever since 2011. Um, and so it, it's just a wonderful opportunity to encourage people and, and not just within the black community, but the larger community as well, because. So often when we think about philanthropy, we may think about Oprah Winfrey, we may think about Tyler Perry, we may think about Bill Gates. 
And, and what the Waterbury Black Giving Circle really does is expand that different definition of philanthropy to say it really is giving of our, our talents and, and our treasure towards collective giving and in support of our community. Well, I, I, and so we, we don't have to be millionaires. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't do a good Oprah, but everybody gets to be a philanthropist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's it. Like everyone gets to, you know, gets to have a car, but but it, but it is it is really, really true. And, sure. and if we expand that definition of philanthropy, really, it's about generosity. And, and, and in many cases, it's about nickels and dimes comparatively. You don't have to you, you don't have to turn your back on philanthropy because you can't write a check for a hundred dollars. You can't turn your back on philanthropy because you can't write a check for ten dollars because if you can mm-hmm. write a check for five or a dollar or take your uh, your your crazy change jar and bring it to the grocery store and, and cash it in and just give that money or volunteer, you're you're a philanthropist. It, it it is it is so true and and you know we we have the example if if we just even think about the the New Testament where where Jesus is comparing um, a woman who who just put in two two cents versus someone who put in an abundance of, right. of money yeah, and she gets and the so dirty looks she gets the dirty that, looks from the it. rich ones yes I, oh that's I know it, it. well so, yeah yeah. So that, it's a wonderful story. Philanthropy starts uh, with with uh, with nickels and dimes, and uh, and uh, the the big the big money is wonderful, but uh, the feel good factor and the sense of investment with any amount of money is 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 all that matters when you're getting started. And uh, speaking of getting started, I mean this whole Waterbury Black Giving Circle got started uh, thanks to Juneteenth, and here we are now in 2023. Juneteenth is a is a is a national holiday but back then you wanted to just kind of keep that energy going and that that those were the roots of this uh, giving circle it you know it's it's funny because i i would like to say that we were ahead of the curve at least a, at least the federal government because juneteenth has been celebrated throughout the country in many black communities um, and yet here in Waterbury, there there was not a celebration of, of Juneteenth. And so people just got together and said, you know, we should do something. And so we planned an activity and we invited vendors and we had food and music and celebration and poetry. And we had the youth involved. Um, and we really just brought the community together to celebrate our resilience. Um, as a community, because so often um, stories around the black community really are based and steeped in, in struggle. And so how nice it is to come together that, that yes, there, there is certainly elements of struggle, and yet there's elements of, of great beauty and great commitment to each other, um, uh, a collective responsibility for each other and, and just all of the, the talents and the skills that abide within the community and those things should be celebrated. And so we took that celebration and then thought the first celebration was in 2018. And then we thought, okay, well, how, how do we keep this going? This feels really good. How do we come together? 
Um, and then that, the idea of a, of a giving circle came about. Um, and that's a, just a beautiful thing. I'm a member of the Women's Giving Circle that's hosted by the Connecticut Community Foundation. And I enjoy the group of women getting together, thinking about what our priorities are, thinking about the needs of women and girls in the community, and pulling our dollars together to give out each year. And so I was thinking if if we do this within the Women's Giving Circle and also the Pride in the Hills, which is which is similar to to a mm-hmm. giving circle, yep. um, then then we can certainly do it and and have a black giving circle. And then we started to to research and and there's a there's a black giving circle at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. I'm from Philadelphia. It's a black giving circle in Philadelphia, a longstanding mm-hmm. giving circle in Philadelphia. And so I said, you know, all of us, why why not? in Waterbury, Connecticut. And mm-hmm. so it, it is wonderful from 2018 and then 2023. And we know we had a pandemic in between some of those years, but, but to be able to award um, over 15,000 in grants, that was just, that was just a, a phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. And, and one that, that really does serve as a reminder of how important it is that we articulate a vision and we really keep our hand to the plow until it's accomplished. And even once it's accomplished, soon as we soon as we give out the, the first round of grants, we begin all over again because it still needs right, right. out there. Well, we've got about three or four minutes with you, Kathy, and I and I can't let the time go without reminding people that while the uh, Waterbury Black Giving Circle kind of takes the summer off, uh, September is looming, uh, and along with your work on the education side of things, uh, you're also, along with all of your colleagues in the circle, um, going back into your uh, rec- recruitment and awareness building in the fall. Yes. So yes. what so, do people need to know if they want to get involved? Because you don't have to be black to be part of the black giving circle, right? No. So <laughs> so what we do, we certainly take solidarity gifts. So so people who are interested in supporting black led organizations, um, we we certainly take those donations as well. Um, as you said, the the summer is a is a little bit of a of a vacation to to strengthen up so we can ramp up for, for the fall. But um, on August 2nd, it, it will, of course, be over at once this airs. Yes. But but in celebration of, of Black Philanthropy Month, there will be a virtual event um, called Black Love in Action in celebration of the month. In September, we will have conversations within the Black Giving Circle in Waterbury to talk about that event and to really begin to ramp up recruitment for for the next grant cycle. We we have a a $365 donation to be a member of the Black Giving Circle, and we really came up with that amount if it's just a dollar a day. And also the the Connecticut Community Foundation uh, kind of makes it easy, too, by setting up a, uh, a, a kind of a, a, a donation or a, a, a pledge 
uh, opportunity where um, you know people can just arrange to have a certain amount of money taken out uh, by the by the month or annually, um, and it's kind of uh, set it and forget it, right? It is. It is. It is so nice. So some some of our members will make a one-time donation of three sixty-five. Some members will do a quarterly donation of a little less than $100 per quarter, and some people will do monthly, where it rounds out just about $34 a, a month or so. Yeah. And so um, the foundation makes it extremely easy to give. They've been our, our partner. They host um, the Waterbury Black Giving Circle on their website, um, and it, it just makes it so easy to, to give and have a record of it. And, and we also lean and depend upon the foundation's expertise in, in managing those funds as well. So it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful partnership that, that we have with the foundation. Great. Now, do you guys have your own website or social uh, presence? No. So, so we're, we come through the Connecticut Community Foundation. Um, when we host events, we will always have something on Eventbrite. As well, um, the the social media of Facebook. So I think that probably tells us about, or tells tells the audience about the age of some of the members because we're still on Facebook, mm. and and so we 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 got to do some outreach to some younger folks to get us out on TikTok and Instagram um, and all of those other platforms so that people can can hear about us, um, and so. What typically happens is so many of the members, we will share it on our own social media accounts I get it. so that so that people can can become more aware and engage right. within the Black Giving Circle. Kathy Taylor is one of the founders of the Waterbury Black Giving Circle here the first weekend of August as we play this Black Philanthropy Month. You can go to concf.org for the Connecticut Community Foundation and put in the Women's Giving Circle or the Waterbury Black Giving Circle uh, into their search and you'll find out how to support this important local organization in the greater Waterbury area. Kathy, great to meet you. Best of luck with the rest of Black Philanthropy Month and ramping up your recruitment. Young folks, if you're out there in the greater Waterbury area and you want to support this organization, get to know Kathy. Kathy and her colleagues at the Waterbury Black Giving Circle. Thank you so much, Kathy. You've been listening to our award-winning public affairs program for the people. The opinions expressed on this broadcast represent those of our guests and host. If you have a suggestion for an issue, a guest, or a PSA relevant to the audience and community served by our radio station, you must make a request for consideration in writing to me via email at john.voket at connoisseurct.com. We do not accept pitches or requests for coverage by phone. Remember, no part of this program may be copied, disseminated, or rebroadcast. Our public file detailing the many critical community and state issues addressed on For the People can be reviewed upon request during normal business hours at 440 Wheeler's Farms Road in Milford or on our station website. Our theme music is by Rick Miller and Scott's with original music by Noel Viette. I'm Director of Public Affairs, John Voquette. Join us again this time next week for more conversation and information on the award-winning For the People. And don't forget, 
You can listen to this and other For the People podcasts anytime on iTunes or under the podcast tab on our station's website. Until this time next week, thanks for listening. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.